to another edition of the Custom Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports each and every week. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back. Hey, Joe. Good to be with you again. I hear a little bit of uh, a nasally voice. I guess you picked up a cold since I last saw you. Yeah, it's my Felix Unger imitation, actually. So. <laughs> well, very, well, well done. Yeah. It works well, yeah. but we'll forgive you. Um, so, Tom, we've had team presidents, athletes, Olympians, uh, you know, in the 90-something shows that we've done, you know, various and sundry, interesting personalities, disruptors. I don't think we've ever had an owner before. Right. So we're, right. we're we going to break we that. Yeah. So we're going to break that today. And I, I was trying to think as I look back to the list if we've ever had a Yale grad. I know we've had people from up, mostly other every Ivy League, Ivy League school. I'm not sure if we've had a Yale grad, so we're going to break that as well today. So... Ginny Gilder, the co-owner of the Seattle Storm, Olympian, Yale grad, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thanks for having me. I didn't realize we were breaking so many of your traditions on this call. That's what we do. We're trailblazers. That's, so. we, we try to do that, yes, week, mm-hmm. week in and week out. It's not easy, but we keep trying. But Joe, where do we want to start? There's a lot to cover with Ginny, uh, such an accomplished person, and it's a really interesting story. So we're, you want to kick it off with the first question? Sure, and and the one thing I want to do is how we got to this point, um, and, and as I said before we started, I told Ginny we're going to throw her yet more platitudes. So um, there was the uh, Sports Business Journal conference in the middle of November, the Deal Makers Conference, the first time they had done it, and there were lots of big names, you know, Robert Kraft, Gary Bettman, Wink Grosbeck, and it went on and on. And I always love to stay to the end because it's usually before cocktails, so it's, it's interesting to see what pops up and who stays around. But the last mm-hmm. panel was about kind of rising sports or sports maybe not of the, the realm of NBA, NHL, although most of them are pretty successful businesses. And I looked at the panel. I sat in the front row, and I was listening to um, the New England Black Wolves talk, and um, Chuck Greenberg was talking about minor league baseball. And then Ginny Gilder was on the panel, and I had never heard Ginny speak before. Um, and th- the things that she said about owning the storm and leadership and um, all the other pieces that go into how the storm have become a pretty successful, very successful sports media property in a market where there is not an NBA team. They are the only show in town right now. was really impressive. So uh, I wrote up a blog post. Uh, I heard back from the storm, and here is Ginny today. So, Ginny, thank you, number one, for sticking out the end of the day in New York. And second of all, thanks for joining us again. Uh, well, totally my pleasure. Great. So let, let's kind of talk about how you got there. Um, Yale, the, the Olympics, and then kind of, you know, another kind of circuitous route to get to an ownership position in a market, you know, a fast-growing, disruptive, very interesting, very tech-savvy tech market. So why don't you, can you walk us through kind of briefly Yale to the Olympics to kind of where you are today? Sure, and if I go on too long, I'm sure you'll tell me. Um, So I started in college in the fall of 1975, and I actually decided I was going to go to Yale when I was in fourth grade, which was in the mid-60s. And I had a very good friend whose father had gone to Yale, and my father had gone to Yale. And so we sat next to each other, and we decided that we were going to go to Yale one day. And mind you, when we decided Yale was not co-ed, And luckily, neither one of our fathers told us that, because by the time we started college, the world had changed a little. Um, So I started college in the fall of 1975, three years after Title IX had been passed. 
And we, um, the Women's Crew at Yale was uh, a pretty feisty group. I had never rowed, so I'm not a basketball player, uh, which might surprise you given that I own a WNBA franchise. I saw this race in Boston when I was a junior in high school and called the Head of the Charles. It's now the biggest probably weekend rowing event in the world. I saw it, and I just thought the sport looked so beautiful, and I wanted to try it. And so when I got to Yale, lo and behold, they had rowing. So my first week of college, I started rowing. Um, we uh, were a pretty feisty group. The heavyweight men really hated that women were infiltrating their bo- boathouse. We ended up having to invoke Title IX to get access to boathouse facilities. Not the boathouse itself, but shower and locker room facilities. We were 12 miles away from campus, and we never, we never got to shower at the boathouse after practice. We had to get on this old school bus, wait for the guy about 20 minutes, and then go back to campus. And then we had to eat dinner, and then we'd get to go shower. So it was a big issue at Yale. Um, and that was kind of that was when I got radicalized, if you will. Um, you know, I grew up in New York City, Park Avenue girl, private schools the whole way. I'm not going to kid you. You know, I was not a financial aid student at Yale. And my father was an alum, so there was definitely some privilege there. But I fell totally in love with rowing and decided in the summer of 1976, uh, which was an Olympic year, and it was the first time women's rowing was added to the Olympic Games. Thank you very much to the Canadians. And two of my classmates were on the team. And I, like many humans, this is one of the things I love about human beings, thought, so simply, well, if they can do it, I can do it, which really, quite a leap. But I decided that I was going to go for it. So in 1977, I started trying out for national teams. I got cut 1977, 1978, 1979. And by then, I was graduating, and my father said, Jenny, come on, move on. My father was in the investment business. He said, the market is trying to tell you something. You're not good enough. You've got to you know, get out there and get a job and go for it, go for the rest of your life. And I agreed with him, told him I would quit, basically lied to him, stayed at Yale, got a job, like working in the, like one of the medical school um, offices where they were writing grants. So I was helping working on grants, kept training, made the team in 1980. Now, test your history. What happened in 1980? They didn't go to Russia. But the right. Goodwill Games were there. Right. That following, following that, but in 1980, the United States boycotted the Olympic Games. So I didn't get to go. Um, but I ended up getting a job, working in Boston, and I started training again. And I made the 1984 team, as well as the 1982 and 83 national team, and came home with a silver medal. I stroked the women's quad back in, out in L.A. And that was, that was my Olympic career. Well, that just goes to show you when you're told uh, you can't do it, you you go for it. But I I like that philosophy of it. You know, what one man, I think there's a famous quote, one one man can do, another can do. You know, you kind of saw that early, which is amazing. So, so Ginny, how did you transition out of that uh, Olympic experience and the dedication that that was required in terms of your time and uh, focus? To into the business world after you left um, the, the 84 Olympics? 
Well, I actually worked the whole time I was training. In 1981, I started working at a kind of a software um, a software company. This was back long before PCs. It was uh, they worked on many computers. They had a software product, a packaged goods companies to help them figure out how to market their products. So, kind of from 1981 through the late, really until 2004, I did various endeavors and. I really won't take you through it all because there's not a lot of continuity in it other than, and this really happened when I was at Yale, I got very interested in the whole issue, if you will, of access to opportunity. I would say that my experience as a rower at Yale radicalized me in some way. The first time, I won't go into right now what the heavyweight men did to the women who were rowing at Yale. I wrote a book called Course Correction. You can read much more about it in my book. But it was at that point where I really had the experience of being discriminated against. And actually, it was the only time in my life that I had that. So I then spent a lot of my early career looking at how could I make a difference in, if you will, leveling the playing field, either economically or in terms of some kinds of social, some kind of social justice. So I did that, and then started working in the investment business with my father in the early 2000s, mostly because he, at that time, was in his early 70s. He'd had his career since the 50s. He wanted someone in our family to figure out what was going to happen when he was no longer around, and that was me. Luckily, my dad is still alive. He's 85, so you know that business side is going just fine. It's been really interesting, certainly, with all that's happening in fintech, with Bitcoin, all that's happening with autonomous cars. It's a really interesting time to be in the investment business. But that's actually not where I focus my passion, if you will. I work with an investment team who leads the fray there, and I spend a lot more of my time on the WNBA front. And if you think about it, yeah, if you think about it, I got involved with the WNBA, and you, everyone hears about the old boy network. Well, as it turns out, there's a young girl network. Um, and I was on the board of an all-girl school in Seattle. One of my board member friends was very, very involved in the start of the ABL. She tried to create a team here at that, um, you know, that league failed. Um, but then when everything happened with the Sonics, it was that 10 years ago, 2006, 2007, I knew she was going to try to buy the storm. I just had this sense. And so I started talking to her. And because I'd been in the investment business, I actually had some money that I had earned. I could kind of think about doing something out of my league, if you will, both from a knowledge and experience point of view. And it was certainly nothing I had ever dreamed about. I didn't grow up thinking I want to own a sports team. But this woman's name is Don Trudeau. I saw her at one of the Storm games early in the 2017, texted her, got her to come out and talk to me in the hall of Key Arena. And I said, hey, are you, are you going to try and put together a group to buy the Storm? Because we knew the Sonics were leaving. And we thought, would Clay Bennett care that much about keeping the women's team? Did we have enough money to try to keep the Storm here? We, you know, that was kind of my thinking. And she told me she'd let me know. And about 10 days later, I got a phone call 
And today I am partners with John and one other woman, Lisa Brummel. Both of them are ex-Microsoft women. John was one of the first women to work at Microsoft, never went to college um, and worked there, had a very successful career. At one, po- at one point, Lisa Brummel, another Yale, who was a few years behind me, um, worked for Don, but ended up running HR at Microsoft and just retired a few years ago. So that's our crew. Wow. Um, so when you guys got involved, um, there was still, it was still a single ownership in terms of the Sonics and the Storm being owned together. And, and the league is obviously, especially with the Sonics leaving, the league has been much more on the uptick as owners have come on that are not directly tied to NBA teams. So you've got the Connecticut Sun, obviously you guys. Um, how has that been? Uh, was it What are the biggest surprises that you've had in being kind of the only show in town, both the positives and the negatives? And, and how has that worked out from a business perspective? Well, I will tell you that initially everything was a surprise, right? I mean, when, when we bought the team, my – spouse bought me basketball for dummies. I didn't even know what a point guard was, okay? I had a huge learning curve. The first time I met Brian Agler, who was our coach who took us to championships in 2010, he knew this, and he asked me, what's a post player? I was so flustered. I couldn't even answer the question, and by then I knew the answer. Um, But I would say, looking back on our first 10 years, the biggest surprise is how much um, of a difference you can make being a sports owner, sports team owner, in a community like Seattle. I mean, we are part of the whole major league sports team here, and people care about what your athletes do. They care about their franchises, and you can really contribute to your community in a way that goes far beyond ticket sales and corporate sponsorships, and I love that. So, Jenny, was the motivation – when that opportunity first presented itself, was the motivation more driven by your kind of what you called your radicalization to, to promote women's causes and, and help young women? Or, what, or, or did you have, or was part of the calculation the, the, the more cold-blooded investor uh, outlook that you brought to, to this kind of world, new world for yourself? Honestly, I think the only time someone would call me cold-blooded is if they were on the line about to start a race a rowing race against me. I accept as an athlete. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't ever do anything just for the money. Uh, it, it, it doesn't, that's not how I look at life. And when we bought the storm, the thing about the three of us, Lisa, Don, and I as owners, is we were really um, in sync in terms of the difference we wanted to make in the community. We felt like the city deserved to at least get to keep women's basketball, and we wanted to honor the fan base, which was so strong. I would say, and I said this at the conference a few weeks ago, that the Storm and the WNBA live at the intersection of business, sports, and social change. I like living at that intersection. It's a, it's a really interesting time to own a, a sports franchise, especially a women's sports franchise. And Of course, I'm in it because I want women to have the same opportunities as men, whether that's if you want to be a doctor, you want to be president, or you want to be a pro athlete. So certainly that aspect of promoting social change is an important element of why I chose to go down this route. But from the first 
day we owned the team, we said that this team was going to make it into the black. Because, look, you're not going to have that many people but want to buy a franchise of anything if they're going to lose money. And if the WNBA is going to be successful, if we're going to generate the social shift that we're interested in, you've got to be able to sell your team and make money. So it's not one or the other as far as I'm concerned. So two questions along those lines. One is, um, and when the then New Jersey Nets were owned by a consortium, um, the New York media always referred to them as the gang of the Secaucus Six. And um, it was kind of inertia because they couldn't get to agree on things. What's it like to have three owners, and how do you split that up? And then how has the revenue and the revenue streams kind of grown since the Sonics have left town, which has led to a pretty interesting discussion this week about the NBA and the NHL, um, with, you, with you guys leading the way. So how has that come to uh, looking to be in the black or getting close to the black with revenue streams that are both traditional and non-traditional? Okay, I'll probably forget the second question. So remind I'll come back to it. That's fine. There. Um, but the first one is, you know, being in the investment world, working on the business side of many businesses, one of the things that has in fact, I probably should have said this when you asked me what surprised me. Surprised and delighted me is what it's like to work with my two partners at the Storm. Um, of course, we disagree. Things aren't always perfect. We've had our rocky times, but there are only three of us. And generally how it works is one of us has an idea, gets at least one other person on board, and then the third kind of has no choice. And I don't, I don't mean that in a heavy way, like, oh, my gosh, the third person drags their feet and is upset. If that third person was really opposed, we would probably step back and try to figure out, well, is there another way forward? But we've never really been in that kind of a situation. The way we divide our work, if you will, and it's changed since Lisa retired. Lisa really runs the basketball side. She was at Yale when I was, I think she, I graduated in 79, she graduated in 81, and she could have gone to play pro ball then, but she just didn't feel like the, that whole opportunity had developed enough. And so she went to business school and ended up having a great business career, which was you know, a great decision for her, but she knows a ton. So she works with Alicia Valavanis, who's our president and GM on the basketball side. I'm, as you can imagine, not terribly helpful uh, Dawn is much more flexible. She's very good statistically, and she looks at the players much more carefully than I do. Lisa also manages our president and GM. So Dawn and I tend to do much more on the finance side. I do all of the work um, in the political arena in terms of, like, we just spent a year-plus negotiating that key arena lease, uh, and I'm on the board of governors. Anything having to do with technology, Dawn tends to lead, Lisa goes behind, and I'm, again, trailing. I work a fair amount on the finance side with, with Dawn as well. Does that help? Yep. So, so how, is, um, how are the finances going? Have you found new revenue streams? Uh, and the traditional revenue streams you talked about being in the black, uh, being in a you know, major market like Seattle, the only basketball show in town, how has that played out from a business perspective so far? So what we realized is, and this is one of the big challenges with the WNBA, by the way, is we are not, our lights are not on long enough. The WNBA was first brought into existence, everyone knows, by the NBA, and it was to fill their, summer, their arenas in the summer, which is great if you're owned by the NBA, but not so great 
if you're not. So we're out of market eight months a year. So, and yet for a lot of our staff, we can't hire them for four, five, six months a year. So the biggest challenge is how do you handle the overhead of running this business? So what we've started to do is really look at where can we add value in other sports properties or events that will take advantage of the skill set we have um, among our team and generate more revenue. So, for example, we run the Pac-12 Women's Tournament, we, which is now an annual um, event. Don't even let's like discuss what happens when the key is out for two years. I don't want to go there. Um, we hosted the All-Star Game, probably the most successful, most fun All-Star Game that the WNBA has ever had. And we're looking at other ways that we can develop our expertise and reputation and brand as being leaders among women. So we're looking at is there another set of services that we can offer that will both expand upon and extend the Storm brand. That's the kind of stuff that we look at. And it's working. Jenny, have you uh, looked into eSports as one of those business extensions uh, because you, you know that the NBA is getting pretty deeply into it with the, the establishment of the NBA 2K League, and I think there are now 17 franchises that are participating. Um, I happened to catch something that I think Joe saw, too. Ted Leonsis and Monumental Sports actually hosted a summit on this topic, and you may know that his prediction is that eSports will become even bigger than basketball itself and even the NFL. Um, so there's a lot of interest, a lot of investing, a lot of activity, and the leagues are one of the uh, groups in, in this world of sports business that seem to be taking an early lead. So is that something you're looking at as well? Well, you know, there are, as, as, most things in life, as with most things in life, there are benefits and challenges to being affiliated with an NBA. And one of the benefits is that they are leaders in this kind of thing. So we're mm-hmm. very interested but they're ahead of us, and they're doing a lot of the research uh-huh. and development. And we are definitely looking to see, is there an avenue for us, and how do we, how do we get W involved? Great. Um, so the other question that, that this kind of leads to, and I alluded to it before, is the marketplace that you've now created in the last few days, in addition to talking about eSports and other things, the talk has come up again about the NHL and potentially bringing the NBA back to Seattle. How does the storm fit into that? Does it worry you at all? Is it a boost to kind of, you know, floating tide rises all ships? Um, And will the storm have kind of a a seat at the table as this thing plays out over time in the Seattle sports landscape? You know, I think things have changed a lot in the last five years. Um, we've lived through, well, we've lived through four mayors in the last two months, but really we extensively with two mayors, and now we have Mayor Jenny Durkin, who's a woman, and we have a very powerful and interesting city council, five of whom are women. And Seattle has always been a progressive community, but it's shifted. The dialogue around the storm has shifted radically in the last two years. Because you have, with more women in government, they're no longer, frankly, going to put up with the BS of how a women's pro team is spoken about. So it's a very different landscape. And I can tell you that when OVG was negotiating with the city, 
they were very clear. The city was clear and OBG was clear that the storm had to see it at the table. So it's a different era. And by the way, we have a 10-year lease with the key that started, that's, I mean, well, 11 years, it started, it starts 18. So it's a, it's a new world. And OBG, you know, we're going to be in their building. It's a, it's a, you know, so because of the kind of city it is, it's just, because of the kind of city Seattle is, the storm has a place. I don't know if it would be that way in other arena, in other cities, but it's that way in Seattle. Right. Um, and uh, just a quick follow-up at that time, and then we should probably uh, get to our two key questions at the end that we ask everybody about advice and how you stay constant. But um, how has it been from a, from a brand perspective? Um, have there been – obviously, there's a lot of WNBA – slash NBA brands that, that come along with both leagues. Um, but then there's a lot of selling locally. Have you seen, especially with you know, the tech-savvy companies being in the Pacific Northwest, uh, has there, there been an influx of um, companies coming to embrace the storm that, that you were surprised with or that maybe wouldn't have embraced sports in other ways? You know, I would say, honestly, it's not the tech-savvy companies that we are partnering with. <laughs> partnering with as much as they'd like. At this point, really, where we end up finding the strongest partners is in the intersection of health and wellness and women. So our, uh, our Jersey sponsor is Swedish Hospital, obviously a huge focus on women and children and health. So there's more to do in the whole tech space. There's no question about it. Um, and we, are, of course, are looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Jenny, Joe, related to that, I want to ask Jenny about a topic that is affecting all of sports, of course, uh, including WNBA, and that is the disruption having in media, the dominance of social media and the, and the big platforms. Um, Jenny, what kinds of things are you guys doing to address this new, these new challenges of actually communicating with and engaging with fans. Anything specific you can talk about in terms of strategies or tactics that are unique to you guys? Oh, God, you know you've got the wrong owner on the phone on this one. But let me say a couple of things. <laughs> okay, make it up. A, a couple of right. things, yeah. You're not going to touch me making things up. But the thing, the, the WNBA created a three-year relationship with Twitter to broadcast mm-hmm. a bunch of our games every year. That started last mm-hmm. year. That came from one of our players. As it turned out, it came from a Storm player. It was Jewel Lloyd who suggested to Lisa Borders that she go to Twitter and broadcast some of our games. So it's, I think that social media is a huge plus for the WNBA, partly because you get, you get to the younger audience a lot more easily. Um, everybody wants content. So that's, that's a good thing. And one of the cool things about the Internet is that you really can – you don't have to please everybody. There's a niche out there for you, and you can find it. It's like you can invent your own sneakers. Oh, sneakers is such an old-school word, sorry. But you can design your own shoes, right? That's what's possible right. now with, in the world we live in. And the other aspect of social media that I love is that our players have a platform, and mm-hmm. certainly in the WNBA, and I can't speak for any male athletes because I don't have much connection to them, our players are so clear about their responsibility and the opportunity they have to speak out about things that are important to them because of the following that they garner. I mean, look at Brianna Stewart. She is a fabulous example. 
And you look at Sue Bird, who's, you know, obviously on the other end of her career, and you look at how she has changed. She's still not wildly out there. She's much more public than, public than she used to be. And that is because of the opportunity that's been created by social media and also, frankly, the responsibility that comes with being a top athlete. So that's a huge benefit for the league because, again, our athletes aren't in market for eight months of the year, yet they get to be out there all the time. What we do on the social media side is, you know, we're always looking for content too. So we're just trying to get a lot more content out to our players. I'm sorry, not our players, our fans, which everyone loves. Everyone loves video. Everyone loves hearing from their athletes. So we try to do as much of that as possible. We obviously use social media in reaching new fans and staying in touch with our fan base. But I'm afraid that's about as far as I can go with it, guys. That's good. So, um, Ginny, we'd like to ask um, all of our guests two questions. Um, one is, how do you stay informed with everything that's going on, all the disruption that's going on, about everything going on that, that could affect the team from a business perspective? And the second thing is, I'm sure, like a lot of people, there's a lot of people who listen to this show who are young people looking to get involved. What advice do you give young people looking to break into an industry like sports or entertainment. So first, how do you stay informed? And then how, um, uh, what advice do you give to people? Okay, how I stay informed. First of all, I have really smart people, people who are much smarter than I am, who I work with, both on the investment side of my professional life and then on the storm side. So I am always talking to my co-owners. I'm talking to people at the league. I'm talking to my president and GM because they're out there in their world and they're bringing information back. So we're always emailing each other, talking to each other, texting each other, you know, either as a group or individually. That's happening pretty much every day. So right now we're talking about what's happening at the key. Is the NHL going to come to Seattle? I didn't really answer that question. I don't worry about the NHL coming. I think the more the merrier. Um, but that's a big one. And then I read. And being in the investment business, it's great because I'm, I hear about parallel issues from a completely different group of people. So that's pretty much how. I don't watch much TV. I read the paper. I don't read tons and tons. I'm not somebody who reads like every, ten, you know, every weekend I don't have a stack of things I'm reading, but I spend a lot of time talking and listening. As to advice. For me, it doesn't matter whether you want to get into sports or anything else. I think the most important thing for young people, really people of any age, but especially young people, is don't get sucked into this whole thing of that you gotta you got to earn a living and that's the most important thing. And you got to do what, what your mother thinks or your father thinks or your professor thinks. You have one life. Figure out what you love and do that. And most people... Give up too soon and don't work hard enough. That's my experience. I believe in the power of dreaming, as corny as it sounds. But dreams don't come true without getting kicked in the butt many times. So you kind of get to develop a little bit of a tough skin and you can't give up, even when it sounds like people think you should. That's all I got. That's interesting. Um, Jenny, related to that, if you don't mind, um, you've been involved with probably hiring lots of young people. What characteristics, I mean, kind of related to that advice, but what, 
What are you typically looking for when someone comes into your office and is looking for an opportunity with you guys? Well, just so you're clear, I am not somebody who hires on the strong side, but I can tell you what we look for. Um, Mm -hmm. First of all is a real desire to want to be in this space. So, no, you're not wanting to work for the storm so you can go work on the men's side. You actually have to want to work in the space of women's sports. It doesn't mean we don't want to help you develop your career, because we do, but you've got to want to start out by being with us. We look for people who have a lot of energy, who are willing to work hard, be creative, looking for problem solvers, not problem creators. So, you know, it's a pretty fast-paced environment. You've got to be able to be adaptive. In my world, the sense of humor is critical. Um, and you can, you can um, adjust and respond to things not going your way, right? You've got to learn from mistakes because most of us are human, last I checked, and we're really good at blowing it. <laughs> well said. That's yep. good. So, Ginny, we will let you um... – go and attend to your business as we, uh, we hit another weekend here. But the most important thing is for people who want to learn more about the storm, about what you're doing, um, where are the best places, uh, whether it's on LinkedIn, social, that, that people should be following for more information? Uh, well, they should get onto the storm's Facebook page. Absolutely follow Se- you know, Seattle Storm on Twitter. Um, you can go onto our website, stormbasketball.com. And you can follow our players. I would always follow the players. I think they're fascinating. They're, most of them are playing abroad. They're, a lot of them are, you know, pretty engaged in the world. Brianna Stewart is one I would follow. I would follow Jewel, those two for sure. Um, and I would, you know, check out the WNBA's website as well. Mm-hmm. Great. And, um, and what about uh, uh, the, the book, Jenny, Course Correction? Where do you recommend people check that out? You can get that. Probably the best place to get it is at Amazon. It's in paperback now as well as um, hardcover. I'd obviously go for the paperback. And it's, if there's an ebook, uh, I mean, you can get it online, and there's also an audio version. Hey, Joe, okay. I just realized it was, it was narrated. The audio book was narrated by Janice Ian. Yes. Wow. Janice Ian? Sure. Only people in our age group would actually know this. Really, that's, that's really quite interesting. Yeah. Well it says, you know, a single from her nineteen seventy five album. So uh we are dating ourselves in, in making this reference, but uh she was a big name and um I gotta ask, how did you get her to do the book? Well, she does narration, but the woman who my writing coach, the woman who really helped teach me how to write knows Janice. And so when I was noodling around with this, she made the introduction. Wow. That's there great. is a world of when you know people, you've got to ask for help from the people in your world. Yeah. That's, that's good. That's good. Good way to end this. That's really good advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Jenny, thanks so much. That was terrific. And we wish you uh, all the success in the world with the team and all the causes you're working on and you're investing. Uh, you're a fascinating person, and you got a lot of great things happening, so keep it up. Okay, well, listen, you guys got to come out and check out our new arena, so when you do, come in the summer so we can host you at a game. It's the best time of year. Love to. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah, especially only in Seattle. Time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, cool. Joe, you want to put a lid on it? 
Yeah, I will put a lid on the, the latest edition of the Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. Again, our guest was Ginny Gilder, the co-owner of the Seattle Storm of the WNBA. I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host Tom Richardson and for Ginny. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you down the road. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and my host is Joe Fabrito. Our production assistant this week is Columbia student Reese Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at CU underscore SPS underscore sports. Also, you can find out more about our program, the Columbia University Sports Management Program, by going online at sps.columbia.edu forward slash sports hyphen management. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.